Cole, and welcome back to Box Popcast, the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, and I am once again here with my co-hosts, Jean Valjean and Cassette. <laughs> what a weird casting. I didn't say which one of you is which. <laughs> Either way, what a, what a strange casting. <laughs> Hannah and Wayne, welcome back, guys. How's it going? Hey, Mav. How are you? I'm all right. I'm tired. <laughs> all yeah. of my technology is failing me. I hope the show doesn't like there's a there's a non-zero chance that my computer burst into flames while we're doing the show today. Yeah, OK, um, I, I would like that's because, not happen. <laughs> it's because you liked Christmas on the square. I loved Christmas on the cursed. square. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I didn't. Like, I think on last episode, I wasn't sure if I liked it or not. I just said it was the most important um, piece of literature ever created. But now, given the week to digest it, I believe I love it. I, uh, you know, I worry about what that says about me. But uh, <laughs> it's the most it's the most messed up thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Probably. I, I mean, just just keep sitting on it. Just just watch it a dozen yeah. more times and, and, and just let it roll over you. Wayne, you haven't seen it yet. It is. No. It is. No. Um, it, it, it is. It, it's, it's something. Um, <laughs> it's it's, it's going to also somehow be relevant for everything I talk about for the rest of my life. <laughs> I mean, in some ways that could be true. Oh, good. <laughs> but definitely, definitely relevant for today because it, it is a Dolly Parton produced musical ah, okay. that is yeah. roughly a Christmas carol. Um, kind of. Um, also, maybe it's a wonderful life. Also, maybe she's God and she impregnates a woman during it. And it's, you know, their song. Um, <laughs> is, is there anything Dolly can't do? No. <laughs> um, convince me that this was a good idea. Dolly, Dolly Parton yeah. is personally trying to cure COVID-19. The woman is a godsend. <laughs> like, you know, she she and Kesha did do a du- duet um, on Kesha's last album, Rainbow. Was, I didn't set the timer. Was that the fastest Kesha reference we ever had? You gotta take your chances when you can. <laughs> so, so today's topic, um, if people can't figure out the figures out from this nonsense, um, we're, we're going to talk about musicals. Wayne, this was your idea. Yeah, I, you know, I we've talked about, I, I guess this falls roughly under the category of genre, although there are multiple genres under the subheading of musicals. So I don't know if musical is a genre per se, but you know, we've talked about horror and, and you would want to do th- different things. And just, I, you know, over the last few years, I've become more enamored of musicals than I ever had been before. I mentioned this in the blog post. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't think I ever disliked musicals. I just never sought them out or gave them much thought. And in my exposure to them, like you know, most people who grew up somewhere other than New York City or a major metropolitan area, was through television. You know, I saw Sound of Music as a, as a kid on, on TV and Mary Poppins. And as some commenter pointed out, pretty much every Disney movie. Um, although, although Disney movies are weird. Yeah. Because at the, the last, like, fourth, roughly, there, there are no more songs in most Disney films. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, I mean... I'm going to give a give a quick plug before we we need to get to the guest soon. But before we get to the guest, I'll give a quick plug to uh, friends of the show, uh, Kester and Andrew Dorowski. They they host a podcast called Disney Animation Minute Essentials, where they um, which I've uh, which I've been on in my past will be on in your future. But um, they they basically analyze Disney movies and they have like a whole big thing where they will explain to you 
the phases of Disney um, feature production and when like the musicals sort of fell out of favor and why. I mean, like there, I guess if you count Frozen, like that, that is a musical, I guess. And, you know, yeah, there is, it is a musical. Tangled's a musical. The Princess and the Frog is a musical. But not in the same way as like, yeah, well, I don't know. It's their it's, show. It's, 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 yeah. it's well, we, we, yeah, this is not today's topic. We're not talking about yeah. Disney. <laughs> but anyway, Wayne, yeah. because it's relevant to the way that you got into musicals, and I, and I have to, we'll have to talk about the, the idea of musicals being popular and mm. what I meant by popular when I yeah. titled that blog. But you should introduce the guest. Yeah, uh, I, I invited my friend Dan Franklin on, uh, and Dan can tell you more about himself himself. But uh, I, I, Dan kind of changed my opinion toward musicals in general. Dan, welcome to the show. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me on. Very much. Hey, Dan. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you guys. Hi, Mav. Hannah. Thanks for being on the show. Absolutely. So, um, so you've heard a musical before? <laughs> I, I might have heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm an art and theater teacher at a public school here in the Pittsburgh area. I've uh, been doing it for about two and a half decades, and um, the whole time I've been there, I've always been involved in the in the theater program there in, in some capacity. And um, over the last fifteen or so years, I've been their director. Um, and so. I, I have had my fair shake, you know, uh, I, I, my interest in musical theater goes back before that, uh, all the way back to when I was in high school and that's mm-hmm. when I got involved. Hmm. Yeah. I was also, well, I was I, in high school. I was not, um, a, what's the word I'm looking for? Singer. So, <laughs> so, so my involvement in, in musicals, I, I, one of my high school jobs was, um, one of my many high school jobs was, well, I worked at the local public access television station. So I recorded our, all of our high school musicals and directed the recordings for TV. And I also did makeup. That's where, where I learned to do theater makeup. So, um, yeah, I am a yep. big fan and have been since I was very young. Yeah. Um, my, my high school, you know, incredibly rural, not a big budget kind of thing. We didn't do a, a production every year. They, they were occasional. They weren't on musicals. Uh, being the art guy, I was the guy building props and painting backdrops and, and that kind of thing more mm-hmm. than anything else. Um, what kind of musical do you do that stars Tumbleweed in uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oklahoma? Yes, exactly. That's true. That's true. Exactly. Which, which my, my high school did. Um, big production. Um, and I'm pretty sure maybe I didn't. I at least paid to go because all my friends were in it. But I can't sing and I can't dance and I can't act. Uh, so. So I'm pretty sure I wrote an article about Oklahoma for the high school newspaper. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my, my, my contribution to musicals is occasionally writing and talking about them and saving up my pocket money <laughs> to go yeah. see them. Was, I, and yes, I'm going to call it pocket yeah. money this entire show. <laughs> see, I, I had, you know, I'd certainly seen you musicals mainly through, through movies. Let's say you not, not a big theater area where I grew up. I, my high school, I remember they did a production of Bye Bye Birdie a couple of years after I graduated that I went huh. to see. Um, Starring Tumbleweed. Sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, my my college, like the, I only remember two productions there. It was Pippin and uh, Little Mary Sunshine, I think was the name of it. Okay. Um, and then there was just like local theater production did Godspell at the now wow. abandoned. Yeah. The now abandoned <laughs> movie theater in Waynesburg. Yeah. This hasn't come up in a while. So for, for listeners who just don't understand my shock, 
Wayne grew up in a ghost town. Like yeah. there's nothing there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. it, it, it's, it's phenomenally rural. Uh, you know, it, it's, and yeah, Godspell. Don't I have no idea how that got approved or produced. That's kind of what I'm wondering. Yeah, <laughs> there it is. Well, you um, said it was in a what in an abandoned haunted theater. Or well, no, that, that was um, you know, that you? was that was actually it's now abandoned. It's the Opera House. It was the movie theater in downtown Waynesburg. That is old school classic Art Deco theater built in the 1920s or 30s. That over time became a dilapidated hellhole um, where I saw most of the movies growing up, but, and then they produced Godspell there. Now my, uh, and in college, the, the productions of Pippin, there was a nearly abandoned haunted ancient theater building there. That was like, they were going to close down the, the theater department uh, my senior year. Uh, and this is actually a story I will be telling in far more detail on our upcoming episode on a Christmas Carol. Stay tuned. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they had closed it down. It was falling apart, and they've since rebuilt a new theater and everything. But, uh, but yeah. But anyway, my my point being, I you know my exposure to this stuff was really fairly limited, not having access to Broadway or a whole lot of pocket money. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I saw. You know, I certainly saw plays over the years. You know, my my colleagues did plays other than musicals. And you know, when I was in grad school, I saw a couple of really great productions. And I moved to Pittsburgh and met a lot of people involved with the Pitt theater department. And I saw a ton mm-hmm. of shows through them, but very few musicals. And I, I you know, it's like I say, I never disliked them. I just never really thought of it as, oh, here's this thing I'm into. And well, and I don't know. A number of years ago, just you know, Dan and I met to mutual friends. We probably met at a bar, Dan. I'm just going to make the assumption we met at a bar. <laughs> at, I'm going to guess we were at, to there to see a band, yeah. Yeah, to see a band. Uh, mm-hmm. And and because they were mutual friends, we the, the one band in particular, Dan and I ended up going to a lot of house parties together. And he and his wife, Jess, just became friends over, over the years. And I, I like to think very good friends. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, there was the year, several years back, that Dan invited me up to see production of musical production of young Frankenstein that he was directing for, for his high school. And, and I, I've said this before, I, I've said this to Dan, you, when I went, like, I want to be supportive of Dan, this should be fun, but I fully admit my expectations for a high school musical were not very high. You were going to go see your friend's crappy musicals, what and, you're saying. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, quite, quite honestly, that that's, that's the truth of it. And, and it's I the am, equivalent of when your friend's playing at open mic night. Yeah, well, and, and I mean, quite <laughs> honestly, sure Dan, it, it was, you know, it was our friend inviting us to go see their band which we you know <laughs> uh, although they, they were very good and we had a lot of fun um and but i and i i said this to dan that night i was completely blown away the the level of production the level of talent uh of what what these kids were able to do what dan was able to pull out of them just completely really kind of blew me away mm-hmm. um and I, I've only missed one since just because there was a, a conflict of schedule. Uh, well, and last year because there was a pandemic, pandemic. Yeah, this time, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, I, you know, I, it, it's something that I, I look forward to every year and quite honestly has opened my mind toward musicals in a bigger context. And I'm happy to say very briefly during dance production of Spam a lot, I got to be in that production. Oh, uh, you were. I, yes. I, I was a 55 year old high school student in Spam a lot. <laughs> And that was not planned at all. I didn't yeah. even know you were, you were sitting there. Yeah. Well, and, and just to, to back that up, this is an anecdote, and then we'll actually get into the topic. But part of that is, you know, they're looking for the the Holy Grail, and Dan and the, the production had it was hidden under a seat in the audience, you know, a random seat. I went online, bought tickets, 
chose a seat purely at random in the front row. Uh, my roommate Marcel and I went. We had two tickets sitting side by side. He's like, where do you want to sit? And I said, oh, that one. It happened to be the seat with the Holy Grail. Because, of course, it was, given my <laughs> Arthurian background. And at the end of the production, the, the, the student playing Patsy, who has also had the lead in a couple of other productions, and he was flat out amazing. I, I couldn't take my eyes off him during that production. Um, came down, pulled the grill out from under my seat, took me by the hand and led me up on stage. And I have a picture of that someplace, which we can put in the show notes. So. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's a good introduction because, um, you know, for for people who listen to the show, you should always read ahead on our blog at www.voxpopcast.com where we post um, ideas for upcoming shows. And we have a call for comments where we talk about our thoughts and what the show is going to be about. And we ask for you to give your feedback before we record. And probably between the post on, on the blog and like I always repost them on my own Facebook the comment that we got like the most from from the from the post was, what do you mean suddenly popular? I've always loved musicals. And, there, and there's a OK, so first of all, people have to understand something. There's two things. First off, SEO, search engine optimization. In order to get people to read our post, I have to even, I have to pick provocative titles <laughs> for our blog. <laughs> Just, I, want to understand. No, I, think, I think you should own the title. I, do. I think you should own that title. Because that's part two. When I say suddenly popular, I think it's very obvious. I mean, one of the jokes on the show for like the last year has been, you know, like like I was looking forward to the the movie Cat, knowing full well it was going to be horrible because I've been a massive fan of Cats since I was like seven. I you know, I, I love that story. Um, I love musicals. We talked about like I was involved as much so as I could be as a non-singer um, when I was a kid in high school. I actually really do like them. A lot of people like musicals. Musicals, operas go back hundreds of years. But like, I, I don't it's I don't know. It, I, I don't know how you can make the argument that musicals are not more popular in, I'm going to say, 2015 through 2020 than they have been for 40 years prior to that. It, you know, the form was dying out, not dying out like it was going to go away. No. Not, I, it certainly wasn't. I and mean, it wasn't going to go away. Cats was huge when, I, you know, on in a very small limited. But the popularity of something like, say, Hamilton is a phenomenon that I think it's helped the art form of musicals in general that goes beyond where musicals were in 2010. Hamilton, Wicked. The musical. Yeah. I think it's fair to say that the musical has reinvented yes. itself from the 19th century forward, mm-hmm. because if I'm like, oh, guys, we're going to talk today about the HMS Piff, where all of you would be like, bye, I'm checking out this episode. You mean but, listeners, not because I'm, I'm, I'm I mean, boring, I mean you know? actually, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, I honestly don't know. Um, like, <laughs> but I mean, like, really, um, like, you know, like musicals. Like we we know like some big titles like right everybody knows like Rodgers and Hammerstein um, to some degree the Sound of Music also what's up with the Sound of Music being a Christmas movie we, that that's another topic we don't have to do that today. Uh, you know like Andrew Lloyd Webber um, ugh, I hate Andrew Lloyd Webber I'm I mean, not like, a fan either not oh we, yes let's talk about this um, <laughs> uh, you know Wicked I mean like remember when Stupid Book of Mormon was super popular and it was the hot 
like ticket no one could buy and then like Hamilton Eclipse are in and like um this is a comment that we like something like a comment we got on the blog where someone said I wasn't super into musicals because I was just like oh musical and then I realized there were a lot of different types of musicals and they were about very different things and there's a very different style of music and I've always been a fan of musicals um I in high school because I didn't have the money to go see Wicked on Broadway Mm -hmm. although actually I did go to New York um my uh senior year of high school for a journalism conference and I got to sit in the middle seat in like the front like middle row as Elphabus sang Defying Gravity. And it was like a super special moment because it was like the first you know, big like Broadway musical yeah. I saw like on Broadway. It was amazing. Nice. Um, actually, probably actually the only musical I've seen on Broadway that I've seen you know shows in other places. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that we get to that later. But like, you know, that was just so cool and amazing. And that, like I, I basically broke my CD listening to Wicked <laughs> over and over again because, you know, high school girl. <laughs> But yeah, one of my friends, um, who's a dude who like likes musicals well enough, but was like, you know, like Eponine's on my own. It's just like the anthem of high school girls who like are sad and and like, you know these are like kind of these are like kind of girly things. And I was like, Okay, well there's like, you know, Hamilton, you really like history, I bet you'd enjoy Hamilton. And he was like, Nah. And then like three years later after Hamilton got big, he was like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> Actually, this is really good. <laughs> I was like, you, you gotta give things a shot, my friend. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, which is, you know. I think Wicked was one of those last uh, really box office smashing uh, musicals that was uh, so traditional, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, just pulling out all the stops, you know, all the effects. Is, and the, the music is beautifully sung. And, uh, and before that, you had Lion King, which was... Uh, another huge Broadway uh, success. And it had such a very different style to it. And then years later, you had Hamilton or have Hamilton, which is again, huge, huge. Uh, it's going to skip right over Spider-Man turn off the dark, aren't you? <laughs> I'm going to mention that when we talk about Starlight Express. Uh, okay, so fair we'll enough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Spider-Man. But yeah, yes. Yeah. No, I can very go with you. Um, it, different in form. What do you mean by that? When you say uh, taking taking for instance a wicked and you're I mean you're you're putting wicked in the old world of a cat's a phantom um you know these these prior musicals that and then you're saying Hamilton's a different beast uh Hamilton's very different yes because it it reshaped the way we see musical theater you know uh the I mean just bringing in you know the hip hop and everything with it and, mm-hmm. and the way you know the songs are written uh i don't i don't want to say definitively that was the first time that was done but i mean it certainly opened doors mm-hmm. you know uh whereas wicked the songs were and and i hate to say it but it's very like traditionally done as far as musical theater goes yeah uh, actually there's this book uh my one of my favorite books of criticism ever um which has nothing to do with my actual field of study but it's called change for good a feminist history of the bowie musical by stacy wolf mm-hmm. and it begins and ends with wicked um and basically, like, what she does is, like, she goes through, like, Rodgers and Hammerstein and then, like, moves through the decades of U.S. American history and musicals mm-hmm. um, all the way up to Wicked and shows how, 
wicked to some degree plays with the conventions of a traditional musical um in terms of gender like taking the song the type of song like a duet like between someone like curly and laurie in oklahoma and repurposing that for like alphaba and glinda in um what is this feeling where they're you know like i hate you but it's like i love you um and then you know the in song where they you know talk about for good and you know the, the energy in that musical because of how it's written displaces the heterosexual relationship which is uh, she calls it like a convention of the genre, basically, because it's just so prominent in many of these musicals onto Alphaba and Glinda. Um, and but but simultaneously, like it's constantly like using these tropes and that's what makes it so easy to recognize like the work that Wicked is doing. Yeah. So that was, that was a long winded way of saying yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> I don't want to call on anybody's age, but uh, I, I want to go back to something Wayne said earlier about uh, the types of shows uh, that, you know, his, his area was doing when, when he was growing yeah. up. Yeah. Uh, my I didn't call out my age, Dan. That's okay. Yeah, Wayne is 95, <laughs> Hannah is 12. So, you know, we, we, we've, we've, we've established that on the show before. Go ahead. Um, I am 29. <laughs> sure. Oh, dear Lord, I'm 29. <laughs> I, I'm 95. <laughs> Well, I, I went to high school in the 80s and in the mid to late 80s. And, you know, uh, the the fair that we knew as musical theater was very similar to what Wayne had, where it was mostly shows from what you would consider that golden age of American theater. You know, it was all uh, Rogers and Hammerstein, you know, uh, order um, shows that were written decades and decades ago because there didn't really seem to be a whole lot uh, coming out that was either appropriate uh, or available for uh, amateur theaters like high schools to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Dan, you and I have talked, you will probably never get the opportunity to do cabaret. Just, I was it, flat it, out told by, by my administration that I would not be allowed. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So did you bring it up? <laughs> uh, I did. <laughs> uh, I did because I, I really wanted to do it. And there's, there's three uh, versions out there. Yeah. Well, uh, and, and I mean, just cause you're talking about the high school versions. One of the things that I think is interesting is, um, and this is not where I thought this conversation would go today, but there are, uh, when we talk about, you know, I, I mean, I said the sudden popularity of the musical and what I meant was it getting, I meant Hamilton came out is what I meant. Right. And I think mm-hmm. I tried to explain that in the blog, but musicals have been a staple of high school theater production companies just forever. Right. Like everybody, like it, it, it's, it's common that like you know even on even on Riverdale the greatest show in the history of television um oh, yeah. some, like they they do every every season they do a here's the musical the school's doing because and, it's and, high school and of course it is right and, and they did Hedwig last year which I'm thinking Dan will also never get to produce well, see that's that's what I think is interesting though because like um uh, probably for most people for people who do not live in New York City and have Broadway money, right? Um, and yes, I realize that there are theater production companies in other places, but like the musical is really sort of a staple of Broadway, right? Or London, or you know, there are a few places where it's where it's massive and then still yeah. expensive. Not a, oh, go ahead. It's it yes, it, but like you know, like the, the musicals we know 
we know because they're on Broadway and they're right. commercialized they, and they and they won Tonys and stuff. Yeah, and like yeah, uh, yeah, because mm-hmm. there's you know a huge plus. Like there's a reason why we. I mean, I know um, because I'm a, a nerd. There's a reason yes. why we know The Lion King as like the big Disney musical because it was so successful on Broadway. And uh, some of you might be like, "What do you mean? There's a Hunchback of Notre Dame musical based on half Disney, half the actual novel." Which also part of the reason why I suspect it is not super popular is because it's really dark and actually does the mm-hmm. end of the book ish. The shape of that, real quick, by the way, is the music in that is phenomenal. Yeah, it's super mm-hmm. good. I mean, like the uh, the original songs from the Hunchback of Notre Dame movie. Um, also, mm-hmm. like. I don't think a high school would let them do some high schools would let them do things like Hellfire because right. it's like about a dude wanting to rape a woman. Um, well, yeah. And see, that's what I'm wondering. So we have um, so we have these musicals that are inaccessible because they're expensive and they're and they're location based. You can't just go and see Hamilton whenever you want the way you can in non-pandemic times. Go see Star Wars or whatever's playing in the theater. You have to wait for Hamilton to come to your town, you have to save up money and you have to win a fucking lottery. Yeah. Like literally, and, you know, and, and, yeah. and, and it's not going to play at the dilapidated opera house in Wayne's. Right. Yeah, right. yeah, like, uh, have you guys seen Hamilton like in live? I've never seen it live. I, I, I won't, I've uh, only seen yeah. the, the, I've not had the yeah, I, I saved up my pocket money. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I, I, I sold bottle caps. I was like, yeah, yeah, I was thinking like she's like, she had a, she had a paper route. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, when you're, like, my grandmother would say, save your pocket money. <laughs> I mean, when, that, you know, when you're in Love grad it. school, you're on a budget. Sure. Um, sure. And so like, uh, Durham, North Carolina, um, like a few years, I think before I moved here, opened up D Pack, which is like the Durham Performing Arts Center, and it's really beautiful. There's really not a bad seat in the house, and, and I know because I have been bought back row tickets to see um a show, and it was still great. Um, and they have that, you know, they now have like a touring Broadway season that comes through every year, mm-hmm. and we got Hamilton. And let me tell you, um, I like um Josh and uh, a friend and I saved up our money and we were ready to go and Ticketmaster like we had to like like register for the opportunity to get tickets and then like Ticketmaster assigned us a random time slot and I got the early time slot um and that like there's also some confusion about whether or not it'd be better to be on Ticketmaster or like wait in line in person for um stuff and then we had to like pick out days and alternative days and alternative times about how we would figure it out um so i like ended up buying my friend's ticket because like she was in a different time and it was and like there was a limited amount of tickets and it was like this whole thing that we were like planning in mm-hmm. advance um and like people online were like uh just posting like stuff on twitter like i've never seen more people tweet at ticketmaster or the Durham performing arts center like wondering what was going on and being upset that they like lost their slot it was it was a full-time job was, to even get the opportunity to see it yeah yeah, yeah. Like, which is like it's more than mm-hmm. you know you need to know but like that was like the kind of like excitement that so like it felt like you know waiting outside um like well the bookstore uh for like the seventh harry potter novel you know mm-hmm. where like <laughs> except you know most everyone i think got their copy of 
the Deathly Hollows. Right. Not only got a copy, like a ticket to go see Hamilton. Right. And I didn't get yeah. to go. I didn't get to yeah. go. I mean, I've, I've watched it like <laughs> I've literally watched, it, I think, six or seven times on Disney Plus. But so I so, and, and, you know, I've listened to the album a bajillion times. Right. But so but I didn't get to go. There's an accessibility problem. And what I was getting yeah. at was I think that for most people, for people who don't have the money and the 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 proximity to have easy access to musicals probably i think most people's experience with the idea of of musical theater probably is high school like that's yeah. probably where most people get it so like you know seeing yeah. productions like dance i think is 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 something that happens and i think it's interesting because you know just in doing research for the show um i i, I rewatched one of my favorites um uh this week as well i watched a lot of musicals this week because i'm you know like hannah i'm a nerd um so i rewatched rent right and um and I was just thinking, oh, they, they perform Rent in high school. How do they perform Rent in high school? For exactly the reason Wayne was talking about. And there, there is, there's a high school book. There's a, you know, there is mm-hmm. a cut of Rent available for you to, um, for you to perform on a high school stage. And I, I'm, I'm really curious, you know, because they, you know, they try to tone it down and remove, you know, some of the more questionable elements. But Rent is only questionable elements. So I don't know exactly what they yeah. take out. <laughs> well, well, yeah, well, Dan, you and I talked had a conversation about that. I think the first I heard about the the high school versions of these things was through you. You did Chicago a couple of years ago, and you you were talking about exactly that uh, mm-hmm. the, the changes and 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 and, um, and, and, and quite honestly, I have been surprised at some of the stuff that you and your students have gotten away with on stage that my high school would never have allowed. Some of that is because I was in high school ninety five years ago. But. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm fortunate that I can, I can kind of push the envelope and uh, the audience usually seems to enjoy it. Uh, like the biggest number in Chicago is like people in their underwear, you know, so how, what do you do? Um, gosh, I'll have to find some visuals. Uh, <laughs> we, 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 of course, you know, we had to really front end this with the parents. You know, we had to tell them. Uh, we said, look, we understand most of you. Your reference to Chicago is probably the film that came out way back in 2002. Sure. Uh, and, you know, we said at the very first parent meeting, we're like, we're not going to put your children up there in lingerie and fish. Okay. And just so you understand that, you know, we're going to go with this a different style artistically. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wayne, I don't know if you saw that one. Um, yeah, I, but, I, I did. Yeah. But, you know, we, we had them in various uh 20s style uh not flapper dresses uh because each outfit was different uh but they were all in like silver okay and you know with that juxtaposed against the the steel set and the the black sweetheart chairs and everything it kind of popped really nicely and we had some pretty good lighting for it um but yeah uh the the prominent rise of high school versions of shows i i think is interesting because uh, licensing houses uh, make their money mostly off of high school theaters. Mm-hmm. And, and if there's a really popular title out there, uh, like Rent, <laughs> you're not going to uh, sell the uh, the rights to that uh, to perform a production if schools can't do it. Right. Exactly. So that's exactly my thought. You, you got to make these high school versions of it. And I think that's what, you know, um, what the licensing uh, house for Chicago mm-hmm. realized is that we need to make a high school version of this mm-hmm. so that it can be available. Um, and I, I think that's also why you're starting to see a lot more um, more recent titles, uh, I think, showing up uh, in um, in high schools. Uh, something else I want to I wanted to bring up um, is the transition from so many films uh, into staged musical adaptations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I remember the first 
film I, I saw that was a musical was Grease. I mean, we saw it at the drive-in, you know, when I was, oh God. Because you're also 95, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's a drive? Oh, actually, no, drive-ins are back yep. because it's the only kind of movie people can go to. I forgot about that. <laughs> so, so are you, ta- like, are you talking about um, musicals like Chicago actually being translated into film, which actually is an interesting title because it was one of those that like won a Best Picture award and like made musicals come back because like I remember watching like, you know, uh, Wizard of Oz and The King and I as a kid. And then like there was a while when musicals like like new ones weren't coming out. So and that and now and now and now there's like Greece and stuff. Are you talking about like singing in the rain? And oh, okay. Lion King. Oh. So, so, the, so like singing in the rain or like frozen. Young Frankenstein, mm-hmm. which was not a musical. And mm-hmm. well, you know, this isn't a, a movie that got adapted, but uh, the graphic novel Fun Home, Alison Bechtel's Fun Home, got made into a musical. Yeah. And, and, you know, and there's, while she references music and, and show tunes, you know, her, her father being a fan of show tunes in the graphic novel, it's a graphic novel. There's not actually songs in it. And mm-hmm. I, I, I find those adaptations kind of fascinating of how that takes place. Um, yeah, yeah, it's like where do they decide to put songs? Like, yeah, well, where, where in this is going to make a great musical impact moment? To, to me, the prime example of that with that particular production is the the song "Ring of Keys," which became the central, most popular song in that in that musical. That's based on a single drawing and a single panel in that graphic novel, and it's it's not even referenced. So like, she and her father are sitting in a diner, and there's a a woman truck driver who who you know looks cliche lesbian and she has a ring of keys just drawn hanging from her her belt she doesn't even mention that in the narrative of the graphic novel but whoever wrote that musical as they and it's a significant scene in the book i mean the 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 scene and what it means is important but that ring of keys was just a just drawn in you know that was, just yeah, a, a that was the thing tiny, tiny that was the drawing. one thing from that art from that piece of art that just spoke to the person who wrote the book yeah wrote and, the and, show I, book. and i find that kind of amazing how this you know little tiny configuration of drawn lines becomes a a hit broadway song uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know it kind of leads you to wonder it's like why the decisions to make fun home or to make beetlejuice or or legally blonde of all films uh, why? Who makes that decision to make that into a, a live musical production? Yeah, yeah, because because yeah. that seems uh, Fun Home seems up seems an unlikely choice to me. Yeah, I guess things like you know, Seen in the Rain and The Lion King are pretty obviously already mostly musicals in the film sense. Well, yeah, but I mean, is it any different than Broadway is essentially trying to do the same thing that Hollywood does, right? Like where, you you know, who decides that you're going to make a movie out of Legos, right? It's like, (laughs) I've got access to this IP, so I'd like to try something. And, you know, we're, we're, we named, you know, okay, Lion King, Singing in the Rain, you know, uh, Legally Blonde. These are things that worked out, but I made the joke earlier. Obviously, Spider-Man, that should be a slam dunk, right? Because everybody loves Spider-Man. And it really is like. Someone, someone was like, I can, you know, let's talk to Marvel. Let's talk to Disney. Let's get the rights to this. And we're going to, we're going to make a shit ton of money. We're going to make a Spider-Man musical. And then it was. And put Julie Taymor in charge. Yeah. And then, you know, what could possibly go wrong? Everybody, everything, you know, people could die, you know, like literally everything went wrong with Spider-Man. But I mean, I, I imagine that that was the line of thinking was just, we don't, we don't know what this is going to be, but you know, we just clearly we're going to make a bunch of money. We've got Bono. That, right. that, that's got to be something, right? <laughs> 
I guess. I, I think when they start off thinking we're going to make this the biggest XXX whatever ever, you doom yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've lost all artistic integrity. Yeah. Because then it becomes all about the mighty dollar, you know? Mm-hmm. So that basically, I mean, is it just that like someone really has a vision or, you know, that ring of keys? I think there's something there or mean girls. I love this. I, I, you know, I need to express this in song, right? Like, is that what happens? (laughs) I have no clue. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's like asking, like, how do novelists get their inspiration? And like, yeah, I mean, like, you know, where where, where do you get your ideas? Who can say? Um, Or, or is there a producer somewhere that says, Hey, you know, my, my 17 year old girl really likes this film. Make it into a musical. Yeah. Uh, right. Okay. Sure. Yeah. And, and I don't, I don't know. I mean, to look at, you know, I, I've heard Lin-Manuel Miranda talk about just, you know, how Hamilton came to be. Right. I've heard Barack Obama tell the story of meeting Lin-Manuel Miranda for the first time where uh, Miranda was, ex- was explained to Obama, you know, how he was going to do this. He, he was going to change the industry of musicals because he's got like an idea for a political thriller um, starring the greatest hip hop artist of all time, Alexander Hamilton and Obama, who, by the way, is a big hip hop fan, just kind of humoring this crazy dude who, you know, <laughs> is in the White House for some reason. I mean, he, he was there because in the Heights had done well. And, you know, so Obama just tells the story where he's like, all right, OK, that's, uh, that's really good. I'm going to go shake some other people's hands now. And then, like, fast forward, like four years, Obama gets to see Hamilton and he's just like, Dude, what the, what the fuck? How? You know, he'll he'll talk about how he loves it now, but he met like, but he met him like three or four years earlier, just like, you know, they just brought him to the White House and he's just like, who who let this crazy man into the president of the United States? Why is this person near me? You know, and I, but I mean, like, but that thing, right? Like, I'm sure, like, clearly, and Miranda has said this, basically, he was reading a bunch of history books and he just saw something that to him was this inspirational, you know, he's like, this is the immigrant story and how we fit into the American dream. And I need to express this in song because I'm me and worked his ass off to create the greatest, you know, the most successful musical of all time. Uh, I, cool. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, like, <laughs> I, I guess I, no, go ahead, Dan. I was, I was just going to make a short comment is that what I love about that whole creative process that he went through is that it's so organic, right? You know, like he wasn't paid to do it or told to do it or, or, you no, know, inspired wasted by his own money. I mean, yeah. it worked out. <laughs> yeah. What were you going to say when? No, I, I just, I, I guess maybe changing topics, but just to dig a little deeper, there's that part of me, like, just in general, as a as a thing, why musicals? Like, what what about that speaks to us you know, as a narrative form? Because uh, oh. I mean, it's not something that happens in real life. I mean, rarely are Marcel and I here in the house, and one of us breaks out into song. He sings to himself oh, a lot, but that's something else entirely. <laughs> uh, but well, I mean, but not not full song choreography kind of thing. Well, you know, it, it's uh, I and people sing around the house. I get that, but I, I'm just curious why well, that form. Is, is a thing. Well, Scott um, McMillan, who is an academic who wrote the book, The Musical as Drama, would say that what is unique about the musical is that there, there are kind of two conflicting things going on. There's the progressive narrative of the plot that's being written in the book, like, you know, 
uh, Wicked tells the story of Elphaba and her tragic rise or fall, uh, depending mm. on how you want to read that. Uh, and I, I, you know, I, I guess Cats progresses. Um, no. There's, there's, no. I mean, I, I disparage Cats, but partially because I, I hate non-narratives. Um, so... We'll have to talk um, about that in a bit. But anyway, um, but there's also, like, the repetitiveness of the music. I, I mean, you know, what I love so much about musicals is that there there are these, you know, little moments that repeat over time and then they, you know, change and it's just so interesting to watch the music transform and take a life of its own. So, you know, the music the musical he argues is, is its own dramatic genre. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's something, you know, very special there that you, you don't see in the opera, which I you know, like Do you, you know, See, but, I, I mean, that's what he would say. I, yeah. I mean, like, you know, like, uh, I think that the basic, uh, there, there, there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of overlap between opera and something like ballet and musicals, um, especially if you have someone dance a big ballet number in your musical, but it's not the same. See, I'm, I'm actually curious about, Dan, since you've produced, you've literally produced music several, right? And yes. I'm curious where you fall on this because I understand and his argument there would to say that you know opera and ballet and musical are different but to the well, I brought up ballet I don't know if he talks about well, the ballet honestly to distinguish between musical and opera I think is academic winkery at its <laughs> at its highest <laughs> right because so so here's the thing I enjoy both right like I like I I, I enjoy I I enjoy the opera Carmen as as classically performed, right? Oh, that's the last opera I saw. And I, now the North Carolina opera will not stop sending me emails. Okay. So <laughs> Car- but, but Carmen, certainly an opera. You'd agree, Hannah? Oh yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, Carmen a- Carmen a hip opera starring uh, I want to say Beyonce and Mikai Pfeiffer, if I remember correctly. I'm doing this from, mem- from memory. It's been a while since I watched it. I didn't rewatch it for the show. Um I would argue that if you've if you watched the it's a film but if you watched the film Carmen a Hip Hopper, you'd look at that and you'd say, this is a musical because it is. It's a musical. And if you didn't know what opera was, you'd call it a musical. It only is an opera in as much as that it is exactly Carmen. <laughs> like it, it, It's the same story. It's the same songs. It's performed in. I, I, I only think it's different in that. Like, I agree. I agree that bluegrass music and country western music are different. I agree that hard rock and soft rock are different. They're different genres, but I, but I don't think you can make a hard distinction. I think it's I, I think it is. I think the distinguishing for me, what distinguishes an opera from a musical is tropes and styles of the people involved in creating it. Well, also, there's a lot more singing in an opera. Usually, it depends on the usually, opera, right? Usually, Hamilton. usually, usually, there's usually no spoken yeah. words in Hamilton or, at all. Or, or Les Mis. Yeah, or, or Les Mis. Sure. Yeah. I hate um, Les Mis. As much, the way you feel about the cat, I know. I know the way you feel. I, and I rewatched it t- this week too. And I, it's just, oh, well, I just in, think in it's in so. the musical world, like Hamilton and Les Mis, those are called sing throughs. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, like, like Tommy as well. There's no dialogue. Mm-hmm. There's no dialogue just, in Tommy. Mm-hmm. It's just singing all the way through. 
And, to, uh, and, and the who would call the who who wrote Tommy would call Tommy an opera, not a musical. They call right. it uh, a rock, rock opera. opera. Well, because it was that before it became a musical. And yes. then and the movie version of it as well is just, mm-hmm. there's no, I don't believe there's any dialogue in the mo- mo- movie. That negligible. There's some. Yeah. It's negligible. It's been a while since I've seen More it. More than there is in the play. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I see a distinct difference between operas and musicals. Uh, and, and I, I can't really explain why, but I can tell you, I would feel 100% comfortable directing or producing a musical. I would nowhere feel comfortable directing an opera. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that tells me, at least for my mindset, uh, I feel that there, there are different things. So would you feel um, comfortable producing Tommy? Oh, um, <laughs> See, this is, that's where I think it's weird, right? Is it just I, I, a musical because Dan produces it? Does that just turn it? If, if you suddenly produce Carmen, does it become a musical instead of an opera because you use your your um, your directorial sensibilities in, in, in making it? You see what I'm asking? It's weird. You mean like if I take an orange and say this is a lemon, you have a no, lemon? Cause, uh, cause, uh, I, no, I don't no, think that's the same because I'm not... Cause, I, I think it's I, I think that there is a style in which I think there's a difference between drawing something in pencil and drawing something with paint. Right. Um, or, but I think that at the end, you've produced a comic book either way. Uh, Wayne, you'd agree, right? Like you, yeah. you can't say because he's a painter, he's not a real comic book artist. Real comic book artists use pencils. Yeah, I know. you know, like, like it's like I, I think that I think that I, I think that there's a different intent in the creation. Where, where yes, I see a difference between how Carmen was produced, how Figaro was produced. I see a difference in these things, but I, but I think that I think that the end product that you see on stage or on screen, if you're talking about a film, um, I think that that has much more to do with the choices made in the production than the nebulous argument of whether this was an opera or a musical to start. At least that's my feeling. I think uh, operas and musicals, they, they emphasize different things. Okay. Like operas, for example, clearly it's about the singing, you know, it's a, it's about the vocals and, sure. you know, and the delivery, uh, second, secondarily, you know, it's about the scenic and the costumes. Mm-hmm. Uh, when my wife and I, when we go to operas, I never really listen because I'm just so blown away looking at everything. I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. Um, you know, where musicals, you have this sort of, I mean, you know, it depends on the musical, depends on the style, right? But you sort of have this threefold effect of uh, acting, vocals, and choreography all kind of melding together. Uh, you know, while, while some musicals, yes, may put more emphasis on vocals, like, like Les Mis. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's not much choreo in Les Mis, but it's still a visual spectacle, right? Yes. When they build the whole barricade and everything. Um, but I, I think operas really have that sole focus on the singing, whereas musicals, uh, they sort of fold many, many elements in together. Okay. So I, I feel the scope of musicals in, in the traditional sense uh, is a little more broad, you know, mm-hmm. whereas operas focus more on the one thing. Okay. So to go to the place that I know Hannah's going to hate because of her, where do you place cats? I place cats as a musical. Okay. Okay. Uh, simply because it's a Weber. And- uh, <laughs> well, yeah, that was my thing. It's like you're, you're, but you're, but that's, but now you're, but now you're sort of cheating, right? Like you're looking at the, you're looking at the person who produced it specifically, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I, you know, and it's, um, I, and I don't have, I don't have a good answer for that either. I, I, you know, 
it, it is a it is a weird trick. And and, uh, you know, we've we've are, we've made this comment many times on this show, right? That like genre is a myth, right? Like we've yeah. we've said that. So like to distinguish is is useful only in as much as it helps the conversation that you're having at that moment, I guess. Mm. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. But there, you know, I really do think that like in making certain types of distinctions, like this idea of like the progressivism of the plot to most musicals versus, you know, how the music works alongside it or against it is a helpful way to like look at the conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, even like, you know, thinking about since we talked a little bit about musicals uh, on the screen, whether they originated there or were, you know, later turned into movie musicals or, or like, you know, musicals on the stage, your experience is totally different watching something live or see, or even like seeing something film live mm-hmm. um, as opposed to, um, you know, watching like one movie over and over again. Um, uh, I mean, like not, not a musical um, and also hate to bring it up, um, but Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, apparently um one like cast um had like the actors playing Scorpius, uh, Malfoy and Rose Weasley do different things every single night of the production. So depending on what performance you attended, you would read their relationship differently based on the choices of the actors. Mm-hmm. Oh sure. And, or, and, and and then, yeah. A, yeah. The stage all yeah. the stage has that advantage, right? Like each yeah. production is slightly different. And like even though to me, Alphaba will be Idina Menzel and Glinda will be Kristen Chowis just because I, you know, I listen to that CD over and over again. In fact, you might feel like you're hearing about Wicked over and over again um, as much as I have talked about it. But, you know, I, I've seen Wicked three different times um, because actually uh, I've only had to save up my pocket money one time to see it. Uh, the others have been treats. Um spread out over the course of like a decade but you know i like each glinda and each alphabet were totally different in fact i i saw um wicked the first two times uh in the u.s and then i saw it on the west end and it was it was actually a bit different um just even in the dialogue mm-hmm. on the west end yeah, and, and and even it's even seeing the same production for exactly the reason you said with yeah. harry potter the same production um on two different nights is subtly different and that's whether you're at a high school musical level or you're at a, you know, Broadway Tony award winning level, like just, you know, there's going to be subtle differences um, that essentially what you change when you're doing a different take, when you're doing a film, you know, every time you see a, a stage production, that's a new take, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then like, you know, I, I went and saw um, Phantom uh, when it came to Deepak and like the staging was different than the last time the person who accompanied me saw the staging and that changed how they saw Phantom, although not enough to like, okay, can we just talk about Phantom for a second? Cause it, it's so popular still, but also like so rapey and also like in the, I feel in the original musical, like it's very clear that Christine is not into the Phantom. Mm-hmm, then Andrew Lloyd, Lloyd Webber wrote this sequel, like Love Never Dies, where she actually was into the Phantom, oh, and it feels God, like, like was, some sort of like incel, like that was that, that was that was horrible. We watched that yeah. this spring, like we we watched Phantom this spring, and then we watched that the week after. I've never seen the sequel. Oh, so. uh, d- oh do <laughs> just just go read the Wikipedia page, and yeah. that's like yeah. I'll tell you all you need to know. Um, also, Andrew Lloyd Webber has like terrible politics. Also, I we saw Vita. And Evita's just like she's a devil woman. She like gets what she deserves. They like sing like really misogynistic songs. I'm like, is this like what I grew up with? Like, did I do, how long did it take me to notice this? You know, because you know, um, 
Madonna. Um, and then the, you know, the fan of the opera, um, after, after the Chicago revived Hollywood's interest in musicals, like the fan of the opera came out with that man who can't sing super well. Um, <laughs> um, I, I would, I would bother to remember the cast, but I think that that's more amusing. So I, See, well, so I mean, and now we're starting to get into like talking about the narratives and stuff. I I find one of the one of the comments that I also saw just randomly online from from our blog was somebody said that you know Cats does have a have a narrative, and maybe I just didn't understand it. I've seen Cats a dozen times in, in various versions. Um, I, I adore Cats. I'm like study literature for a living. I, you know, cats famously has no narrative. That's part of, it's not just me. I didn't, I mean, yes, a lot of what I say in the blog is me being a smart ass because it's funny, particularly when there's two of us blogging, like, um, going back and forth between me and Wayne, like there's a lot of you know, peek behind the curtains. There's a lot of us kind of, you know, talking to each other in it and making jokes and stuff, even on the show, but cats doesn't cats does not have a narrative in the truest sense. Yes. There is a storyline. It 30 seconds worth of plot. That's yeah, well, I, I think I think in general, and, and this comes in. This is comic stuff as well. You know, Scott McCloud talks about this in understanding comics. Yes, the the, the non sequitur panels, two things that don't follow each other, but our brain as humans looks for a way to connect them. We we look for a narrative. Yeah, it, we, we, I think there's more connective tissue than non sequitur, but yeah. it's not a. But yeah, but I mean, like with cats, it like it has as much narrative as like the original Alice in Wonderland, which is that there is like a progression of moving forward. But it like Lewis Carroll is famous for nonsense, <laughs> and and so yeah, are like the yeah. authors who followed, and like. <laughs> And like Cats is based on poems yes. by T.S. Eliot, letters by T.S. Eliot, which again, not huge on what we actually mm-hmm. call narrative and plot. So yes, Cats may mean something to you. There's a storyline that, that you are like sort of taking in as you view it. And there is a story. The story of Cats is at once a year, the head cat gets to decide which of the other cats gets to be reincarnated. So tonight's that night. They all meet. They plead their case. The head cat picks the prostitute. The end. Famously, no narrative. That's the entire story of Cats is just, you know, let's reincarnate. Let's have an orgy. We pick the hooker. That's it. And and I enjoy it. But it's to me, it's more cats is about the choices and the usage of the form of theater, particularly musical theater. It's about spectacle it's, it's more about than anything language. else. It's about the language as well. Yes, it, 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 it's you said it, it's performing poetry. It's the, it's the transposition of poetry. It's literally into- performing poetry. It's T.S. Eliot's yeah. poetry literally transposed onto a page. It's about ephemeral things. It's the difference between prose and poetry transposed into acting Spectacle. yes i don't really think cats has a narrative either i think it has more of what i would call a concept yes yeah yeah you know and, yeah. and which which again i enjoy now again part of it's part part of it is nostalgic for me because the first time i watched it was when it came out i was seven right and i'd never seen anything like this and i watched it on like i i saw a production on pbs waited for it to come on again so i could vhs record it so that i could watch it again again and again it 
to me, this was, oh my God, I've never seen anything like this. And my mom would walk in the room and she'd be like, what is no? And she'd leave. My mom still to this day never watched cats. She's like, this is, <laughs> and she'll tell you this is garbage. It's not, it's brilliant. Um, but I was a weirdo even at seven. Right. And I, and I think that, I, I think that part of, I, I do think cats is brilliant and I understand why some people don't like it. I understand very much why people didn't like the film that came out last year. Um, it gave me nightmares. It's visually disturbing, but like ignoring, ignoring the uncanny valiness of it. Right. Like, did you actually see it, Hannah? Did you watch the entire thing? No, or no? I, I only watched the trailer. It's on HBO Max, I think right yes, now. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. watched it. I've seen it twice. I watched it again this week. Um, and it's among other things, among other problems with it. So ignoring the uncanny valiness of it. One of the problems with the film that nobody really talked about because they were too disturbed by the visuals is they tried to add story to it. Victoria in the original concept is um, she's the featured dancer. She's essentially a ballerina cat that doesn't have as much story as many of the others, but they try to make her your POV character and they try to weave a narrative because they they felt like if they gave you two hours of nonsense, um, a traditional theater going film theater going audience wouldn't understand that stand it would be very confused by the whole nothingness that's going on. So they added a plot and that's weird. It hurt. It hurt the film for me more than than anything else, because I'm just like, why are why? What are you doing? And and, and like there's just they, they tried to make them intermix in a way that just let me let me invent the story of cats for myself. But you were as you were saying, Wayne, like, let me do this my, yeah. myself. So, so I, I'm, I'm going to tell my non cat story because we're, we're probably closing in on an hour here. Um, I, 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 I haven't seen cats on Broadway. I had sort of had an opportunity. to. This is my one seeing a show on Broadway story in my life. I, I did a trip early 80s i was in college but i was working with a high school gifted program and there was a student trip to new york and i went as kind of chaperone whatever um and and yeah, we that was my my first time in new york city and we uh we went to see a couple of broadway plays we saw a production of porgy and bess at radio city music hall uh with larry storch playing the white guy <laughs> and, and 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 everybody listening is too young to know who larry storch is just Google F group because um, <laughs> I'm 95 <laughs> and, and the other, and, and I don't know who made this decision. Like we, we had, because we did, the students didn't vote on this. We had opportunities for tickets to a couple different Broadway shows. And at the time, one of them was cats, which was brand new at the time. And for some reason that wasn't chosen. What we saw instead was the magician, Doug Hennings, Broadway oh, disaster God. Merlin. I'm also a Doug Hennings. Oh, wow. Man. Which I, I, which I, I found a YouTube clip. We'll put it in the show notes. It's the the performance from the Tony Awards in 1983. Uh, yeah, it was that was my Broadway experience. I got to see a musical production of Doug Henning doing magic tricks. I suppose I can say it fits into my Arthurian knowledge base. I, I don't um, know whether you chose right or not. I don't. Yeah, but no how old were you? Go back to musicals again for like decades. I, yeah. And, and, yeah, that might have something to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I certainly think that Cats has more enduring relevance than yeah, Doug I, Henning. I, my biggest memory of the show is flirting with the girl named Tiffany who was sitting next to me. So, you mm. know, there you go. Tiffany, if you're listening today, 
You uh, missed your opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> if we could, if you guys could indulge me as your guest for just sure. a moment. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I would like to go back to a question. We'll see if we can resolve it. Uh, okay. Go back to what, what Wayne asked uh, earlier. It's like, why do they endure? You know, yeah. why do we still like them? Um, I had an answer for it as both someone, pers- you know, from my personal uh, perspective, and as a director, mm-hmm. um, from my personal perspective, and my, and my wife uh, can attest to this, I am an extremely dramatic person. Mm-hmm. I, I can <laughs> attest to this. <laughs> I, I overact everything. I, I mean, maybe that's why I teach acting. I don't know. But uh, so, you know, those dramatic moments, with the songs where you're like, you're listening to it. You're like, yeah, I totally like that's what I listen to in the car. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't listen to like feel good music. I, you know, I, I love that drama, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so that, you know, and just give them that bit of fantasy that, yeah, people do still break out in song and dance and, and, you know, the other aspect of get them mm-hmm. to feel, you know, if, if I can get an audience crying, mm-hmm. or, or at least if I can hear sniffles in the audience, uh, during a dramatic moment, uh, I will, to me, that's like the, the gold medal, you're, you know, if I can get them to cry. production of Big Fish killed me <laughs> emotionally. Oh, dude, it was one of my favorites. Yeah, it just, it, it was beautiful. Just beautiful. I also think um, they yeah. they endured because they also speak to you know issues of our time um, as well, or like even like even the old ones, uh, or can be repurposed to. Um, and, and that's I think a lovely thing about stage productions, um, and even like uh, readaptations um, of old musicals, like you know West Side Story. Like there's an opportunity to reinvent it to make it something different. Um, but, I mean. I, I I know I'm like going to fulfill once again the high school stereotypical girl um thing, but you know like Wicked definitely like is a musical that that spoke to me <laughs> uh, as someone who like felt alone in a conservative town who felt very different, uh, where you know saying things in certain settings could cost you social standing. It's not as dramatic as um you know what happens in the musical, but you know and a lot of you know like um people have like specifically mm-hmm. read in. Um, like LGBTQ um, undertones into the musical and have, you know, talked about um, the you know, persecution of the animals and political context. And I, I think that, you know, we've, I think we've talked about on this show before in a different context, Hamilton mm-hmm. being a show about our time, not really being a show about the 18th century, although it is, and it's thinking about the 18th century, but how does the 18th century and its legacy fit in with our current moment, or rather the moment which it was written um, as well, um, which was, I, I think, you know, it, it might have been a little different had um, Lin-Manuel Miranda written it now as opposed to when Obama was president. So, I I mean, I I think that that's definitely part of it. For me, one of the things that's interesting about about musicals as a form and this is this is a weird thing which i i sort of hinted at in in the um in the blog and you know we're not going to get too much into it because the show's running long but i one of the things that makes the musical work for me is wayne you said you know you don't go around just singing in real life right um the the trope of the musical genre is that is that certain things happen in your life, in your narrative, in the plot of what's going on around you that are too emotional. And this varies by musical because some of them, some of them aren't sung entirely as, as Dan Post pointed out. But like, if you're, if you're watching, say in Oklahoma, right. You know, 
some you're not supposed to think that they're diegetically singing. You're supposed to think that something has happened that is so emotional that I can only express it through song. Right. Like, mm-hmm. th- and that's the uh, West side story. Same thing. Right. You know, they can talk, but then all of a sudden when you're a jet, you're a jet, you know, you, you, you have to like, this is, this is a production because more is a heightened moment, right? It's, it's, it's a moment of heightened reality for the characters on stage, which I think kind of sings to sort of the merger of what Hannah was just talking about and what Dan was talking about a moment ago, which is, I think one of the things that makes a musical memorable and why it endures is if I'm watching a straight narrative, be it a movie, you know, be it Star Wars, be it um, a play, Romeo and Juliet, right? There are favorite parts of mine where I might remember a, a moment of dialogue or a scene, right? But for something like a Hamilton, something like a cat, something fan of the opera, anything in between, right? There are the uh, wicked. There are the songs, the emotions attributed to that song um, put you in a place to sort of bring you back to the moment of when you heard the song, the moment of when you saw the play and what you were feeling feeling and what was happening in the narrative at the same time. Right. So like if you're listening to Les Mis, which again, I don't, I don't love Les Mis. This is one of my least favorites and I know hot take, whatever, but you know, yeah. I, I mean like I like cats better than Les Mis kill me. Right. But, but, but I'll use both of them. Right. Um, Les Mis, there's a whole story going on there. But when you're really thinking about it, you've got I dreamed a dream, right? I dreamed a dream puts you in the film and Hathaway took that part just so she could sing that song, right? <laughs> Jennifer Hudson took the part in the most recent Cats so she could sing Memories, right? <laughs> Memories, I dreamed a dream. This is, a, this is a, a moment of emotion that is the centerpiece. And I think that's something we can associate for all the reasons on all of our musical episodes we've talked about, Wayne, right? Yeah. Like, like music does something different. No, I, I was just going to say, because, yeah, I, I don't burst out into songs when I'm, I'm having high moments of emotion, but I play a lot of music in my day to day life. I mean, it's there. And right. certainly over the course of my life, there are specific music tied into specific people and moments in my life that I hear a song. I am in that moment. And I think that's that's what you're saying. You know, like as yeah. I was saying, Dan and I met Dan and I met at a bar seeing a band. There's a tremendous amount of my friendship with Dan that there's a very specific soundtrack to. Sure. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And and even to just take it a little further, it, it not is just about moments in your life, but there are specific ideas behind some songs. Like to go back to Les Mis, do you hear the people sing? It's like, hello, um, you awful rich people. Um, we're all starving here, and people have used that song at political protests before. Um, for example, like so, it, it you know takes on a moment like. Uh, Defying Gravity has taken on more meaning than like what's isolated in the show because mm-hmm. it's been used to express mm-hmm. like political ideas. You know, I, uh, it, it brings to mind um, it, it, uh, there, there's a song. I don't know if you've seen the musical Something Rotten. No, uh, but there, there's a song where the the main character, his name is Nick Bottom. Uh, obviously, uh, well, Something Rotten takes place uh, in Shakespearean time. And uh, it's Nick Bottom's rivalry with William Shakespeare, which is funny because obviously Nick Bottom is you know from mm-hmm. Midsummer, mm-hmm. but he goes to he goes to see a uh, a seer who goes by the name Nostradamus, and um, the seer tells him if you out want if you want to out 
do Shakespeare, you have to create the musical. And he's like, what the hell are musicals? Uh, but <laughs> uh, I don't know if you guys can put a note for the lyrics in there or anything. Uh, but, you know, he says it appears to be a play where the dialogue stops and the plot is conveyed through song. And he's mm-hmm. like, through song, you know. Um, but it, it talks about like how uh, people will, you know, just sit there and suddenly break into, you know, into song and the audience isn't going to think there's anything wrong with that. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just like, eh, it's a musical. We're, we're, we're along oh, yeah. the ride. You guys have seen the play, right? Or the film, either one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That is a weird exception where I have this theory that because of who the characters in Rent are, you know, because they're specifically, you know, a bunch of, you know, New York bo- boho weirdos. It's the one thing where I believe they're really singing, like, <laughs> diegetically. I, I, I believe that the story of Rent is such that you've got all these down on their luck people dying of AIDS, trying to celebrate Christmas together, trying to get through the year. And like, yes, I get that there's, you know, I, I get that there is um, a narrative going on. But I think that everyone else in um, in Alphabet City in New York just has to deal with the fact that sometimes when you're talking to quirky artists, they just burst, burst into song and you have to just deal with it. And like, <laughs> like, like, I believe it's real. <laughs> so can we agree on anything about this genre? <laughs> No, no. Well, and, and very, very quickly, because we we keep and this is the nature of the show. We keep jumping into more topics, but you just you use the the, the diegetic term, and yeah, you know that idea of you know something that is taking place that the the characters are hearing, and and something that is you know the that's part of their world as opposed to them breaking out into song that's part you know, for the audience and, and and I'm not describing that well at all but I, I think of cabaret being a mix of those things you know one of the productions I saw at cabaret sure. was at CMU and you know part of cabaret takes place in the Kit Kat Club and there are musical numbers in the Kit Kat Club and I I sat at a table on the stage with the people I went with it just did set tables on the stage so we were part of the play in that you know we were the audience of the Kit Kat Club so those songs, mm-hmm. everybody there hears. It's part of the the production. Right. But then you know Sally starts singing at her apartment, and that's a completely different experience and use of music. And I, I find that mix kind of interesting and fascinating. And and when it's done well, mm-hmm. I can convey something really neat. So my wife and I got to see Cabaret with Alan Cumming and uh, I must know uh, on Broadway. And oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, get to see Alan coming in that MC role was was amazing, and yeah, uh, and and we paid for the up close tables too. That was kind of like our Christmas slash birthdays slash anniversary gifts for like <laughs> the next two years. You know, to be able to yeah, sit you, there. You, one you night. saved up your pocket change. <laughs> pocket change. Oh my goodness, I'll never live that down. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, this is like Pippin, too, like, it, because it begins with, like, a troop, um, and they break the fourth wall by singing magic to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess, like, this is, this is a semi common thing in some musicals. I mean, we, we've talked about some examples all throughout. Yeah. 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 I, I think if it, if it has a, a, an intended effect, it's fine. Uh, just to have, uh, you know, your ensemble out there dancing in the aisles for no reason other than to dance, uh, uh, to me is very irritating. It's like, <laughs> your job is to be up there. But yeah, well, like, I, it, well, my, my Spamalot experience, you know, like suddenly I was part of the production. Right. Yeah. That's, that's what I was thinking of. And you weren't um, expecting it. 
Yeah. Uh, we stupid pandemic man. We were going to do the mystery of Edwin Drew. Oh, and we were about a it's month. So ago. cool. Sorry, I am a nice centrist. <laughs> so, so you're you're very well versed yeah. with it. Yeah, I mean, from the get go, the moment the audience walks in, they are part of the show. You know, uh, you have the cast members all in character walking around, showing them their seats and having small talk with them and just riffing with the audience back and forth. Uh, complete improv. Yes. Uh, within that show, it never ends the same way twice. There are literally hundreds of different ways it can end because the audience votes during Act 2 on three different occasions as yeah. to what the next move in the plot is. Uh, so there's no way the show ever ends yeah. twice and the audience gets that involvement. Oh, it, it's so when you're when you're breaking the fourth wall intentionally, uh, you know, and it has a, a, an intended effect. I think mm-hmm. it's very much and okay. For an explanation: If you don't know the mystery of Edwin Drood, it was a novel mm-hmm. written by Charles Dickens, um, and he died in the middle of writing it serially, and because mm-hmm. he like wrote as he published, um, like some of his novels like took two years to complete. Um, no one really knows the endings, though some people claim to. So the musical has done this cool thing that Dan just described. That, that's, yeah, that's I really neat. It. It's such an amazing moment. They're in the middle of a song. It's a big full company number. And suddenly it dies off. And you think as the audience member, you're like, holy shit, what just happened? Did somebody miss something? Did somebody screw up with the audience or whatever? And, and then the, the MC type character says, and this is the point where Charles Dickens laid down his pen <laughs> and died. <laughs> I just I just want to know how it ends like I wish I could go back in time I think this is actually a little Doctor Who episode I go back in time try Dickens for a minute like hope he wasn't going to be a creep that day you know just oh yeah it's great because in the musical the audience gets to vote yeah, through the camera right. So, so we've resolved nothing. So cool. um, it's better than all the other. Uh, we've resolved yeah, that. We've resolved nothing. We've resolved that Edwin Drood <laughs> is a great musical. Uh, Dickens should have finished it. And we're going to have to do another episode on yeah, this. We didn't, we, we, scratch yeah, the surface. we didn't talk about West Side Story. Yeah. Not really. Yeah. We, I mean, there's so many. It, it, the Color Purple in the Heights is supposed to come out with theater. Yeah, and uh, that I mean, it was supposed to be this summer, but COVID. Also, we haven't really talked about how COVID has impacted mm-hmm. the theater community. Or, I mean, um, yeah, or what people probably expected we talk about today is like, you know, we, we, we focused very much on actual music musicals, that is musicals on stage. But the, there's a whole history. We talked about how people don't really necessarily have the access. Um, musical theater has so informed cinema and I think more so recently, but like everything from Disney films like Frozen or Lion King to, you yeah. know, just uh, I've, I've just started watching uh, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, you know, which or Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yes. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, mm-hmm. Glee, um, which like as much as I disliked Glee, um, it was uh, it was big in that kind of thing. Uh, I mean, people on our blog mentioned that they were introduced to musicals through Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, yes. Yeah. And Cop Rock, the second greatest show on the history of television after, oh, Lord. after Riverdale. <laughs> All right. So, uh, thanks so much. So, yeah. So, 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 so we're going to come back and Dan's going to join us again. Yeah, we're going to have to do this yeah, another I one love that. in the I, new year I'd sometime. To, let's see. I had the opportunity to direct West Side Story uh, about a decade ago, and uh, I'd love to tell the story as to 
why it was one of the favorite shows I've ever directed and why I would never direct it again. <laughs> so, so stay tune tuned for time. that. Yeah. Anything you want to plug? Oh yeah. Uh, it, it's funny. Uh, uh, Hannah and I actually brought it up uh, this April uh, in mid April and, and uh, you know, uh, stay tuned. It's going to start April 15th. Uh, the next production that I'm directing for my high school is Pippin. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which also, Very how cool. are you going to do that? I'm, I'm just hoping you have April allows well, you to have a play. <laughs> would be great. Yeah, that would, that would be a great time to talk about all the um, ways theater man- theater is being managed in time of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, that's a whole nother. Because <laughs> I mean, last year the 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 Edwin Drood thing. I mean, like the shutdown was like the week before you were scheduled to go on. You'd already put a it was shit a- shit ton of work into it. It was like three weeks out. We were just about okay. to go to Sits Pro and to do our lighting cue to cue. Wow. Oh man. Yeah. And then like half the cast graduates, so they just they just miss out. Yeah. Because it's high school. And then, you know, I mean, I pick shows based on the talent that I see at auditions. So uh, you know, that show will probably not happen again for until whenever will I ever direct it yep. again. Probably not. Huh. That's, that's you know? Yeah. Yeah. And on that downer, palindrome Hannah, <laughs> anything you want to plug? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Hanley Rogers, but I'm going to just keep sticking with the theme and say donate to your local food bank and the link will be in the show notes. Absolutely. And Wayne. Uh, I, I guess, you know, I'll, I'll, my, my blog again, I, I mentioned earlier in the show, I've written about dance productions twice. Uh, they'll be in the show notes. So, and while you're mm-hmm. there, read the hundred other hundred, 200 things I've written for my blog. <laughs> <laughs> and then come back next week. Cause there'll be a quiz. No, there won't be a quiz. next week. <laughs> um, uh, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, all of the places, always at Chris Maverick. You can follow the show in all the same places Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Vox Popcast we've got a YouTube channel which you should absolutely subscribe to, the YouTube channel's fun, as you listen to the show you can see images of everything that we talk about, you know there'll be little pop-ups, especially on a show like today where we talk about, you know, the visuals of a lot of stuff, so um, please subscribe to us on YouTube That um, and I don't know, Katya's not here, so I don't know, hit bells or something, I don't know, subscribe, like hit bells all the youtube things i'm not as old as as wayne but i'm old (laughs) i don't know how anything works um but you can follow our show on the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com where you can find out about what we're talking about next week you can leave us comments um we will try to incorporate them into the things that we research and that we talk about as we as we sort of move throughout the show. Um, if you enjoy the show, and we certainly hope you do, please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from. And do us a favor, leave us a five-star review, especially on iTunes. If you leave a review, write a little something, something, not just not just give us a five-star rating, but write something that oh, that helps us get more popular by tweaking the algorithm. And, you know, it'd be cool. And, you know, we'll sing. Not on the air, but we'll sing about it because we'll be so I, overcome with emotion. I won't <laughs> sing, uh, and I will spare the world. Oh, uh, I'll sing like in a shower or something. But just not, 
not recording that. <laughs> but anyway, I, 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 I'll sing in my car or very loudly in a crowd of people at a bar watching a band. <laughs> there's no bars. There's no band. It's, it's 2020. <laughs> I'm, it's all gone. I miss, it's all I gone. miss culture, <laughs> society, those things. You know, we've been cooped up in our houses for nine months, just like everybody else. This is our only outlet to the world. We need your love and support. So please leave us a five star review and leave us comments on what you think about this show or any others in the show notes on Facebook or the blog or on the YouTube feed. Let us know what you're thinking. I would like to thank Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epic theme song, building ever so more epically and playing us out. I'd like to thank you at home for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.